everyone, welcome to another episode of the Stone Genius Podcast. My name's Ro, I'm the Stone Genius, you know me, I'm often stoned, I'm always a genius. Uh, today I'm super excited. This is a guest, uh, we'll get more into why I have such, uh, so, so admire this guest and everything. Uh, I used to, um, if I was going to introduce this person, I would introduce them as an award-winning playwright. But now I think I also has, have to add a best-selling author to your title. Welcome to the program, Stephen Dolganoff. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Hey, Ro, it's so good to talk to you. It's so great to hear you, and I'm so happy to be here. I am so glad that you're here. So I'm going to give a little background for some longtime listeners uh, followed over. So I originally had a show called The Roro Show, uh, and one of my very early guests, I think you were probably second or third guest that I had. Uh, I think so. And, and I'll tell you this, afterwards, and I had actually written down this note. I wasn't going to get to it till later because you have more important things in your life to talk about. <laughs> but, I mean, so afterwards, you you gave me a compliment just on how it went and things like that. And, and you really – I think that was the first time I was like, oh, someone else has validated that I can do – something that I really enjoy doing. And so I, I really, and it, and you probably don't know what an effect it had on me. So then we, we go back. So you and I, I changed that to, mm-hmm. for the Roro show. So then it was the Roro show with Steven. Then we did, I believe 29 episodes and uh, you needed to step away uh, yes. for, for some things that were going on and we may get to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, right. so then I started the stone genius podcast. So I've now done between the show we did this show and then the longest one night stand that I do with my wife, Bobby, uh, I've done over 400 shows and I don't think I would have, I'm not sure I would have continued. This is a lot of hard work. I think about you a lot and the kind words you said so early on to me that made me because I enjoy this. I mean, I wouldn't have spent the last 12 hours all night up trying to garner questions and do things and not just for this, but from other interviews when I just have to go to a nine to five every day and it just kills me. So I wanted to say thank you very much. Um, long you time. are very welcome. You are very welcome. It's well deserved. I spoke the truth and you know, 400 shows later, it looks like I was right, huh? You were, you were. So thank you very much. And and that goes to show that often you have no idea how just a simple kind, I mean, you probably didn't even think, I mean, you probably, I believe that you're being truthful, but you were like, I hey, was. That, that was a fun hour or whatever, and, but it impacted me so much. So so if you ever feel, and this goes to everyone listening, uh, so so that you know, Stephen, uh, we are now heard in 43 company, countries, companies, 43 wow. countries. And uh, so if you ever feel like you should say a nice word to someone, err on doing it. Don't say, eh, yes. I, I mean, go go out of your way and do it because you never know what type of impact it can make to them just for that day, for that week, for that month, for that year, whatever. So thank you, Stephen, for that. Uh, hold on. I get a sound for this. Uh, we need to get back to this whole, uh, you're an Amazon award best-selling author now. What, what's this yes. all about? Well, I am a writer and composer, as you know, but if your listeners don't, I wrote a little musical called Thrill Me, the Leopold and Loeb story. And I started working on it 30 years ago. 
and it became a small hit in New York, but a huge hit worldwide. And it was first produced about 20 years ago. It took me 10 years to get it produced in the first place. And it has been a daily journey of success with this musical that's not a household name. You know, it's not like Wicked or The Phantom of the Opera right. or something everyone's heard of. Uh, it's got, it's sort of a cult hit in Europe, but it's a very mainstream hit in Asia. And I have had such an exciting adventure from the moment I got the idea, sitting in the very apartment that I'm sitting in right now talking to you, back in 1994, started writing it, up until this very day that I decided for the 30th anniversary of the day I started writing it, which was also the same year, 2024, is the 100th anniversary of the incident that inspired it, Leopold and Loeb or two young guys that committed a murder in 1924. Right. With those two events converging, I decided that I would do something that I swore I would never do because I'd been asked to write a book many times and I said, there's just no way I would do it. But with those two things happening, I kind of thought, you know, if, how, if how not long now, ago then was when. That? How long, how, how many years ago was that that you figured out that the, the 30th and the 100th year were going to be in synchronicity. And so, I mean, was that the catalyst thing? Because you've been asked to write a book a lot. So was that finally like, oh, the, these two things cross. I might as well. It makes sense. Yes. And, I, and I, it sort of came to me last summer, uh, early last summer, when I started toying with it. And I really thought, this is the, this is the time. This is the reason to do it. So many things have happened with the musical. And I think that going into the future, it's sort of going to just be more of the same. So I don't feel like, oh, if I just wait two more years, maybe this will happen. Or maybe it'll be a more interesting story. No, it's already a very interesting story. So I, I you know, decided to go ahead and do it. And it took me... Oh, about six weeks to write a very loose, rough draft and about six months to fully refine it. And it was published. Uh, it, it came out officially on February 6th, just about just a little over a week ago. And it's already an Amazon bestseller in its category. Let me just make that clear. In uh, theater and biographies and in Broadway and musicals. Hey, you Steven, know, and, uh, let, let me let me let you in on something real quick. So when I sure. when I play golf, if I want to shoot a 71 that day, I will shoot a 71 uh -huh. that day. I quit whenever I get to 71. If that's 18 holes, that's great. If it's nine holes, that's great. If it's 13 holes, when I get to 71, I quit. Because no one asked me how many holes did I play. Oh, you played right. golf today? What did you... So here's what I'm saying to you. No one's going to ask you, oh, what category? You can just leave that part out because no one's... I, I don't think anyone will you know, follow up a, that. That's a good tip. Okay. That's a very good tip. I will I will remember that. Thank you. I also but for, wanna... your, but for your listeners, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give them the give them the facts. Right. <laughs> but it's still a major accomplishment and it's I was shocked. I couldn't believe the response. Uh but you know, as I said, it's a globally known show and so it's you know sells all around the world. Right. And, so what uh, originally drew you to the story? Because as a 
someone that is member of uh, high IQ societies, these mm-hmm. these two gentlemen, young men, whatever they were, nineteen, I think, at the time that they committed yes. their crime. Um, right. They were very high IQ. In fact, I think one of them yes. at a time was or is still considered one of the highest IQs ever recorded. I know that there's a lot, there's a lot of debating on I that, the true. IQs mm-hmm. and things. But what originally drew you to the story of the two of them? Well, it's it's really a fascinating uh, way that I got there, and I write about it a lot in the book. And I was going to say, I, if at any point you need to say, well, they need to they need to buy or download the book to find that well, out, I feel more than free to say that to me and the well, audience. I w- well, well, I'll give you this little taste, but I highly okay. recommend buying the book. It's called Thrill Maker, and it's available on Amazon, on just about any book website. Uh, it's paperback only, paperback and hardback. It's not available yet as an ebook, but that'll probably okay. happen down the line. Uh, and, the, and the whole so title, I, hold on, the whole title is Thrill Maker: The Story of My Musical Thrill Me. Correct. Correct. That's okay. I just title. so that's the whole title. I, I just I don't know if you. I don't know what else is out there, so I just want. To, so the sure. whole title is "Thrillmaker: The Story of My Musical Thrill Me." That's right. Okay. So in in 1994, and it's so funny. This is something that I put in the book. The only reason that I remember that this was 1994 was because I found some of my original notes and I had written the date 1994 on the top. That because while there were like word processors and computers. There wasn't anything like an online calendar, right? And I didn't keep like a journal, so I would have had no way of knowing that date if I hadn't. I'm not even to write sure Palm Pilots were a thing then. I don't. I don't even. God only knows. <laughs> but I had. I had written. I had had a couple very small musicals done in New York, and I was looking to do my next piece, and I wanted to write something very small to make it easy to produce, right? And for make it very attractive to producers and be simple. You know, I knew that I would probably had to put up staged readings of it myself and I wanted to make sure it would be as simple as possible. So I knew I wanted two people and I wanted it to be about a relationship between two people. I didn't know what that meant. It could have been a father and a son, a, right. a, a man and his wife, uh, anything, two guys, anything. I just, that idea was sort of growing. And I had a second idea that would be just a true crime story, a true crime musical. Everyone loves those. You know, exactly. So those were those were what I was working with. And one day I went um, up the street to a bookstore that I used to go to frequently. And I went to the true crime section, not because I was specifically looking to find the idea that day or anything like that. Right. But I found a big book. It was like an encyclopedia of famous American criminals. And I started thumbing through it. I came across the section about Leopold and Loeb. And I had heard of them. I didn't know much about them, but it was at least you know something that I recognized. Right. And I read this four or five page synopsis of who they were, what their crime was, and what the aftermath was. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks that it was a two-person story of a relationship and a true crime story all in one and i pretty much went home and started working on it and i have never and it has never not been a part of my life since then there were times when i had to put it away for a while when 
in because it took nine years for it to be produced. I have, you know, it had to go into the drawer, right. but it was always, it was always on my mind. And I knew that if some producer would be brave enough to produce it someday, because they're, you know, the guys are in a sexual relationship with each other. They kill a little kid just for the thrill of it. Right. It's some dark stuff, but it's right. also very psychological and very, um, about the human condition and about what we do when we're in relationships. And I thought it would be a compelling story. And, and I was right. <laughs> and I knew, and, and I knew that if it was just produced once, it, it would it would be successful as successful as it could be. So let me, I never imagined it would be this successful. I want to stop you there because uh, you know I can't go too go too long without the focus being shifted back to me. So I just of wanted I, no I just wanted to say that I <laughs> I understand that feeling and I don't know if everyone does like this podcast. I spend. So I joke that I could go to where I work. I do my daily sales thing that gives me my insurance, blah, 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 yada, yada. And I've told Bobby I've wanted to go in there and say, hey, wouldn't you love an employee that worked, never looked at the clock? They put in so much extra effort. They came up with all these ideas on, on their own. They never face mm -hmm. an obstacle they couldn't do. Wouldn't you love that employee? And they would be like, yeah, are you going to become him? I, I want to say I already am that person. It's just in my podcast. Because sometimes you get you, right. something clicks and you're just so, <laughs> you know, because I've kind of shelved this podcast and things for a while, like haven't done episode just because I find it challenging, unmotivated. So I right. I get that. And it's and it's it's so weird because. I have told the story of when I met Bobby hundreds of times, probably on this podcast, it's, and it's always the same. And that was 28 years ago, just a, a couple of weeks from us recording this. And Happy so, anniversary. Thank you. Uh, so I understand being in that bookstore and remembering, you know, mm -hmm. you, it, it's funny because you remember it's five pages. Sometimes when I hear people like, oh, this was really impactful. And I was like, I was like 13, 14, 15. I'm like, well, it was impactful. Wouldn't you know your exact age? So I love that you're like, I it was like five pages and I read it and it just spoke to me. And it's always been a part of my life since then. Because for those of you out there listening that have never had something that impactful, it is, it's it's awesome. I, I highly it recommend it, but it's something you can't, I don't think you can make it. I, I'm not sure you can manifest no. it. You were looking for, I mean, you were looking for inspiration, but not necessarily right at that moment. So that is, that yeah. is so cool. So and it's crazy because I just have to put in that there was only one copy of this book on the shelf. If someone had bought that book, right? you know, that the day before, I don't know that I ever would have come across this story. I mean, even though it was a story that was out there, it just, the stars just had to align at that right moment for me. And, you know, you know it changed my whole life. So, so here's my thing. I, I've talked about this on the podcast as well. I, I know that there is a God, a creator, there's a universe, there's a guy running my simulation. There is something, there is no way that uh, <laughs> else that Bobby and I meet each other. But I'm also 100% right. convinced that we would have met each other. Now, one of our mm -hmm. big deals was we were seven years apart. So she was 21 when we met. So it's not like I could have met her too much earlier. Then we get into the right, creepy right. stuff. But I, I think that if you if it wouldn't see, I don't think there's any way you wouldn't have been in that spot on that day. That was that was whatever's going on in the universe. That was everything converging that placed you at that point. And I don't know why I can't explain it. There are so many weird things no, that do that. But that that is so amazing because 
when something changes your life and you remember, I, I bet you could probably even remember where you were standing in the bookstore, you know, the oh, yes. all of that. And you know, most people don't have that. I mean, and so that that's awesome to hear. Sorry to interrupt. I oh, just, I, I just no, wanted to okay. gush, gush in about that because it is cool to hear that. Yeah. And the bookstore is long gone. It became a, you know, a there's, clothing probably, store and there's then... probably a certain number of my listeners that are like, uh, what's a bookstore? bookstore? Yeah. So, it... well, and, and one of the most interesting things is where the bookstore on the site of where the bookstore was, uh, a clothing store opened. And just by total coincidence, that is where the costumes for, or at least some of the costumes for the very first production of Thrill Me were acquired from. From the on the on, on hallowed ground, so to speak. The only way that could have been better is if you would have said it turned into a theater, and that's where you had your first performance. Oh. But but that oh, that, that would have that, been nice. That's a, that's an amazing story. I mean, and that's the that's what the listeners love to hear. They love to hear the the things where, especially well, listeners on here, because you got all those stoners that are like, oh, that's cool, and then you got all the geniuses <laughs> that overthink everything anyway. But, you know, being able to hear how everything came together for you. So you you kind of shelved it for nine years. It's come back. And out. when when did you know? What was the first performance? The first mm-hmm. when did you know? Wow, this is this is something big. Well, really, the first on the night that it was performed, the night, the first night it was in front of a real audience, there was a lot of development. You know, I wrote it in 94 and probably through about 1999, I was working on it. I did some other projects, too, but there were readings. There were all kinds of other very interesting stories that are in the book that I know everyone will want to read. But it took a long time. Finally, it was the night of the very first performance in front of an audience that wasn't an invited audience of friends and and industry people like for a reading. So rehearsals, I had thought, went very well. I was very pleased with how it was looking. And it was directed by the man who created the musical Annie, as in The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. Right. And it was very big news in the industry that the man who created Annie was now directing a show about a child who gets murdered or about the murderers of that child. So it brought us a lot of publicity and he did a, he was very difficult to work with. Did you have any, was that brought to your attention after you hired him or was that something that you're like, Oh, did Annie did a child murder? And like, did you tie that in before did someone else? And then you got some press or something, someone else identify that. Well, it's kind of a it's kind of a long story as to how the he book? became part of the project. It's in the book, but uh, I Thrillmaker, the story of my musical, famous. Thrill Me. I'm just going to keep yes. saying the the title of yes. your book by Stephen Dolgenoff. Yes. yes. So no, I I knew who he was. Um, he had a long reputation in the business, so it was exciting that he was directing it, and it was just done in a very small little theater as part of the theater festival. So, like I said, I knew that it was going well, and I knew that I was pleased, but. The night that it was performed for an audience, it was exactly what I had imagined at that point nine years earlier. When I sat down in 1994, the first thing I thought about was, what do I want this show to feel like? And the first image I got was of the audience. I imagined an audience sitting on the edge of their seats, hands covering their eyes, mouths agape, not applauding, not moving, just just 
hypnotized by it. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly. I was looking around and I thought, this is this this came true. Forget the show. I, it's the audience that just that I couldn't believe. Right. And then when it ended, it was like an ovation like I'd never heard in my life. And and as I say in the book, I didn't care if there was ever another performance. Like I was that satisfied. I thought this is what I dreamed of and I got it. So you know, we're going to do it again tomorrow night, you know, right. and several more times, but I was perfectly happy. And cause it was, I just, and I felt very not vindicated, but cause no one ever said it wouldn't happen, but I just felt very satisfied. I thought this is, this is exactly what I wanted. And from then on, it's never been out of pre-production or production somewhere in the world since 2003. Um, I'm I'm in negotiations almost every week for something new. I mean, something landed on my desk yesterday, um, a streaming deal for the Czech Republic production that would be on like a, a Czech Republic version of Netflix. Wow. Um, just like just out of the clear, clear blue sky, just right. out of thin air, just boom. And I get things like that happening all the time. There's going to be a big production opening in Mexico City this summer, and they're doing a big casting, and they asked me to record a video uh, to play before the auditions to welcome the actors auditioning. I've never been asked to do that before. So well, you know, gonna, I put that one on my list. So uh, do you think that that is that something you want to be a part of, being a part of that selection process for them, or does that make you – I mean, does that give you, since it's the first time it's happened to you, does that give you any qualms? Like, how about if now I've selected, the, now it's all on me for, for picking those people? No, I mean, and I won't be picking them. It's just merely they want to make it really special, and they think that it'll be a very big deal if the author from America, from New York, right. is recorded an introductory video. It's more important for me that they have the actors that they want because right. I don't I don't know the standard there I'm not going to be there I it's it's much more important that that any production does it the way they want uh within reason of course and boy there's some stories about stories that <laughs> are, are not good stories that are in the book but for the most part it's been 250 productions now and um you know it's those initial productions that I was involved with, um, it had to be done my way because it was setting the tone. And, 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 it was, and you were acting in those early productions, correct? Well, well, or not, you know, again, another good story. I had to take over one of the roles when the show moved to off Broadway. It started in a little theater in New York and it had a few productions around the country and in Australia and then a big like you know, off-Broadway is not Broadway, but they're sort of big off-Broadway and small off-Broadway. Right. And this was big off-Broadway. And, you know, I'm not going to give the story away because it's really good in the book, but I ended up having to take over the larger of the two roles and play it myself, which was never my plan. You remember me in, in, in high school. I was I was an actor and I wanted to be an actor, but yeah. I gave that up really fast when I went to college and I, I went to NYU. I very quickly decided, no, it's a writer that I want to be. So I never even gave it a second thought, but it was one of those situations where I sort of had to fill in and and do it. And you know so what's much weird is at, 
as you're saying this, and I'm thinking back to high school and things, and you wanted to be an actor. So we had also we had a, uh, a radio and television class back then, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And yes, I do. I I just made this correlation while you were talking about you know how you wanted to be an actor. That's what you knew you wanted to be. I had a lot of people telling me that I had the voice for radio. And I always thought it was, I have the voice for radio. Instead of, because now that I do the podcast, a lot of people tell me, well, they have, that you have a, that I have a voice. You do. Not like a voice like my, the the tone, but what I talk about, what I bring to the table, whoever. And so, you know, I, I, I may have wasted these past we don't have to exactly tell how long ago we graduated, but no. 30 plus <laughs> years. But um, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's weird because you always knew. And it's because mm-hmm. now I feel like I know. Like I, I told my wife, I go, this is what pisses me off about podcasting is that I have to have this other job so that I can have insurance so I can do my podcast where I just feel like if I could just have that extra 40 hours, man, that would be that'd be really nice. But that's. But that's today. It who is. knows what tomorrow is going to bring? It is. You know, you keep doing what you're doing, and who knows what can happen? You so, know, I mean, I, you are so good at this, and like, I, you know, you do have a voice. Not only do you have the voice, metaphorically speaking, but you have the voice, literally speaking, too. You know, I would not be surprised if I'm, you know, not, you know, turning on a, a, you know, a major podcast network or a. You know, if you become the next John Stewart, or I don't know, well, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I appreciate that. And my thing is, I've been having to narrow the focus. And as mm-hmm. I have found, uh, it, it's lucky when I interview people. I have been lucky enough to get. Uh, they go, oh, you should interview this person, or this person listened to our our interview, and they mm-hmm. would like to interview. And I'm also bold enough that I am. I, I, it takes me about 30 seconds before I drop my podcast because I'm always interested right. and I'll drop it. If it's someone that's interesting to see like, Hey, what's right. your, Oh, you're an attorney. Oh, you're an EMS. Oh, you're a playwright. You know, I will talk to anyone about anything cause I love to learn. So I, right. we were talking about, or you had mentioned earlier that the, your, uh, play thrill me is more popular overseas than it is here in America. What is there a reason? Do you know why that reason is really? I wish I knew exactly, but okay. here is my thought. It in America, in the United States, in Western countries, there's a lot of plays, there's a lot of musicals, there's a lot of cities, there's a True. lot of states, and there's a lot of competition. True. It's less so in other places. In Asia, uh, starting in South Korea. Uh, which the thrill me has been playing there now for 17 years. When a South Korean producer happened to be in New York scouting a Broadway show that was also represented by my agent who represented that show and thrill me and was told that that show isn't available. You know, someone else has the rights for South Korea, but why don't you go see thrill me? Right. That producer really enjoyed thrill me, but it was nothing like anything that had been done in South Korea, at least mainstream, it's a small, dark musical. Right. They didn't have small, dark musicals. They would get Phantom of the Opera or The Lion King or, you know, the big Broadway shows, right. the famous shows, Korean shows. So this was something very different. Now, small, dark shows were, you know, dime a dozen here. That wasn't breaking any new ground. 
but over there it was. And it became an overnight hit, but in a big mainstream way, not their version of off-Broadway, but their version of Broadway. And it took off like, like wildfire there. And I think it's because for the most part, and I believe this is still true today, over in South Korea, Seoul, uh, there's less of a tradition of theater, so the audiences are, are a lot younger and mostly female. So in, in an audience full of 20-ish-year-old females watching the story of two, I would say, very handsome men who are lovers and commit this spooky crime, and I think it just really connected really and I, connected I, they loved it i will tell you with that time period they're very stylish as well which helps very very yeah. yes yeah. the 1920s yeah so they look really snazzy and you know it's very it's all very tasteful and and just beautifully produced so what, I, what I i'm hearing hold on what i'm hearing is if you're a mm -hmm. single guy in one of these countries a good place to meet young women might be at the play thrill me I, I, or yes, for me, or just about any theater, because or if you had a I date, went, take them to it. Yes, I went to see Thrill Me in Seoul for the opening of their third year, and I think I was maybe I, I went to several performances. I was one of maybe three males in the audience at any performance. Really? You know, maybe three or four. Um, now in Tokyo, where the show was brought, it's been playing there off and on for about 11 years now. Uh, it's still mostly female, but it's more of a, of, a, of a mixed audience. And it plays there by a production company that produces a lot of shows, and they do it seasonally. Uh, for the first three years, it played a big season every year, like a big chunk of the year. Right. Now they do it every other year. And then it was uh, it premiered in Shanghai in 2016 and has been running off and on there ever since. It's about to open there later this year in an English language production in Shanghai, which is going to be very interesting because it's only ever been there in Mandarin. Right. And But they feel that the demand is so strong that a lot of the fans of the show will appreciate the opportunity to see what it's like in English. Right. And Theater has to be theater has to, movies, theater, books, everything has to be censored there. And but my under but my understanding is the English language version won't have to be censored nearly to the extent of the, the native, Chinese translation. The native language yeah. There. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But so, not so in any other place, only in China. I had written down when you were talking about that, how many different versions, meaning like you had said that you had gone uh, to Tokyo and seen, I think, multiple nights. Mm -hmm. uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, but how many, so let's just count that as one. How many different versions, productions of your plays have you seen? Follow up, how many countries does that entail? I had to count this for the book. I have either been involved with, you know, like, because, so I saw like the first few productions and then was in the off-Broadway production. And then I did the role several other times in other theaters. And then counting those and then the productions that I traveled to see, um, I would say about 25 out of the 250. Okay. 
countries would be the United States, South Korea, London, and Japan. Okay. So I've been to four countries to see it. The show has been done in, I believe it's 25 countries and 17 different languages. So has there been issues in uh, translations at all? Or has that gone fairly smoothly? Or do you... You don't, the you're not, trans- that's not even your purview. It's like, oh, you want it's your language. You're going to figure, I mean, you'll figure this out or know whether it can be figured out. It's, it's basically like what you just said. Okay. The, what, what happens when a producer from another country wants to license the show? They're responsible to create the translation. I don't have translated versions to give out. I've only got right. them in English. So, you know, for example, there've been several versions in Spanish, but Every there is there's no official Spanish version that they get. Everyone has to make their own Spanish translation. Right. But it's what what can sometimes happen is an author can request what's called a backwards translation. So they translate it, and then now you can do it on Google Translate. But back in the day, it would mean a person would have to then translate it backwards back into English just verbatim. And then the author would look at that verbatim backwards translation and approve it or not. I don't like to do any of that because right. if they if they are paying me for the rights to the show, they have a vested interest in making the show the best it possibly can be. Right. And they know their language and I don't. Right. So I just trust that they are going to do what they need to do to make it as good as possible. I never want them to just translate it directly if if a joke is going to make no sense. Right. I don't want it to just be, well, this is the word for that, so that's the word we're using. I I want them to adapt it if within reason if they need right. to. And the only exception is China and the government is very, you know, you know, picky about certain things and sometimes things have to be Censored and then re-censored and then re-censored again. And it's at a point where I'm not exactly sure it looks the same. Like I see videos and I see pictures and it looks just like they're only, but I'm not exactly sure what they're saying. <laughs> and I understand it's not exactly what I wrote. Right. But but that's it's 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 everyone's treated the same. You know, it's not it's not just through me, it's it's everybody. Right. So so that's how that's how the translation. So work. while you were speaking, because you mentioned mentioned Google Translate, it mm-hmm. I wrote down AI. Have you included or do you use AI in any part of what you currently do with the show? Or if you were doing a show now, would you utilize AI to come up with ideas, or is that cheating? For me. At my age, I personally feel for me it would be cheating. Right. But I know that we're about to enter a whole new world, and I wouldn't Ugh. if a writer chose to do that. I don't. I don't necessarily know. I mean, if you just can't figure out the best way to say something, and ChatGPT or some other AI service can like spit it out for you in a more coherent sentence, I don't think that's cheating. You know, you got a thesaurus, you got a dictionary, you know, you, you, you're going to, you can Google facts that you didn't know. But for me, I would never do it. It's so funny when I first started, told, was telling people that I was doing the book, someone said, well, are you going to use AI? And I thought, well, 
it's not going to know what was going on in my mind. Right. It doesn't know what my trip to Tokyo. Oh, you might was. be surprised, I mean, Stephen. I mean, well, it'll it knows what thrill me is, oh, and you knows. know, I can ask. I, oh, yeah, and I can ask ChatGPT. You know, write a bio for Stephen Dovinoff, and it'll do it, and it knows everything. But just the, the bare facts, like right. if I said, "What happened when I went to London to see Thrill Me in 2011?" Doesn't know that. <laughs> so no, I did. I, I use no AI. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to ask yeah. you yeah, about this because I. And I mentioned this. So I, <laughs> so on January 6, 2021, which was not a great day in the United States, I was actually going mm -hmm. out of town. So early that morning, and I was going to Colorado. I always, Bobby always says, you need to finish that sentence. I was going out of town to Colorado. I was going to Denver for a smoking okay. weekend or a smoking week. And uh, so I had, I had put on January 6 that I was, le I, hey, I'm going to be away from Facebook for a while. Uh, see you when I get yeah. back or something, which was not a good day to do that with everything that happened in D.C. Yeah. So I really don't ever post any. I, I, I Sometimes the show gets posted on there, but I still go out there and I'm a, a voyeur. Right. So I see everything when you do your posting, when you had your 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 right. release party and all these great things. I see this. But you know what? I also see a lot of swag that you get from all these productions. Yes, <laughs> I do. So I need to I ask do. you. How much swag? Has, so, first of all, swag is. Uh, why don't you, for some people, because this may be a term that for our international well, listeners they may not understand sure. exactly what I mean by swag. So, what what I'm what you and I are talking about swag. How much have you have gotten? What's the the nicest piece you've gotten? And what's the weirdest piece you've gotten? I know that's a lot, but go. Sure. Well, there are two different things. There is swag and there is merch. Okay. Swag is usually like free stuff and premiums. And, you know, stuff that, like, only the cast and crew gets. Okay. And merch is merchandise, stuff that is sold at the theater that then they contractually have to send me samples of. Yeah, see, thank the, you for making that clarification. Because, yes. see, I wasn't even – I, I was just I thinking get, everything. And I get both. And I get, I get a lot of both. So this year, or in 2023, the production in Tokyo, they made little stuffed toys, like little stuffed dolls – you know, like a stuffed animal, but not an animal, a person of the two characters. Right. And I just was so excited that I, you know, I wrote to the producer. I said, I would really like to have more than my, you know, contractually obligated. You have to get more of everything. Right. And I oh, now okay, have. So, that, so, so you have that in an actual contract that you. you yes. Have, okay. Okay. Good to know. Cool. So like magnets, pins, right. mugs, uh, little play sets, but these sort of stuffed toys, I now have a gigantic box. I've probably got, I don't know, 50 of each, and they take up my entire closet. I'm going to have to get a storage locker okay. for it. Tote bags, um, sweatshirts that look like when it, when it opens, one of the characters is in a prison uniform. And so they this year they made hoodies that are replicas of that prison uniform. Oh, my. And... I've got tons of those. I have got incense burners branded with Thrill Me in, you know, written in Korean. I have got keychains, like mystery bag, like blind box keychains, where, you know, there's like nine different ones, but right. it's blind and you don't know what you're going to get. Well, wanting to make sure that I got at least one of everything, they just sent me a box of like, I don't know, 50 maybe. 
know? So did you get so, one of everything? I, was, I got one of everything. Good. Um, other things that are sort of inspired by props from the show, like uh, matchboxes and uh, oh gosh, I don't even know. They used to, USB drives. They used to do USB drives, post-it notes, right? Keychains, just everything. And it's mostly in Japan where they do that. In South Korea, they do more subtle merchandise. Beautiful program books. They call them brochures. We would call them a program or a playbill. Right. But not only do they do those, which is like about the show, but because the actors are always so popular, and even though there's only two characters in the show, in Korea and in the other Asian countries, they usually have three to five rotating casts. So there might be 10 actors right. that rotate in and out of the roles. So in South Korea, they make a book that looks like, I don't know, like it's a copy of Vogue and it's just glamour photos of the guys. Wow. You know, in like, look, it look like, like it's GQ or something. Right. And so, and I, and they're very thick and they send me a huge stack and I've got those. It's, it's, it's endless. I, and I, and I write a lot about it in the book too. So because it's what's the, of- what's the strangest thing? Cause you, things like incense burners, I wouldn't have, unless one is used in the, the play, I I'm like incense burner. That seems no. odd for, so, no. so disposable what's the, cameras, disposable cameras would throw me brandy. No idea what that means. Oh, binoculars, like opera glasses. I can kind of see that. Me. I mean, yeah. I mean, at least yeah. at least they could use it for the show, the incense yeah. burner. Yeah. I mean, actually, someone like me, a stoner, they could use an incense burner. Uh, so, <laughs> and then, and, yeah, and not only a burner, but like the incense sticks too. Just, I think that's in South Korea, and I think it's because they like more refined things. So, like right. a beautiful incense kit branded with throw me, a, a cashmere scarf. With a little tag that says "Throwing on it," things like that. So, um, so they're almost buying it more cases. because they need an incense burner. But they, oh, I, I, I need an incense burner right now. And I was at this play, and I enjoy this play. So it's more like a a need I, I, instead of buying it because oh, it's branded like this. Now I got to figure out how to when I'm going to use an incense burner. I wish I had a concrete answer for you because I don't. But that's just you know that's that's what it is. I don't know. If, like fans of like um, anime and manga and and things from Japan, Tokyo is sort of famous for these vending machines. They look like what we knew as gumball machines growing right. up, and you put money or whatever, and you you turn the little dial, and in a in a in a sort of a plastic ball, you get a a prize. Those are all over Japan, all over Tokyo. They are very popular. I go to Comic-Con in New York and they have them there too. Well, in the in the lobby of Thrill Me in Japan, one year they had a whole set of those. There's vending machines that gave out like um, like pinback buttons of the different Thrill Me characters and you would have to collect them all. It's 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 a whole it's a whole industry over there. That's that. So is is their merch and swag totally different than what you would see at uh, American productions? It's a lot more elaborate. Okay. You know, we we have it here. We have it here on Broadway, but it's usually mugs, t-shirts, keychains, pins, um, a copy of the script, a poster. You know, and they have all of that, but they go. Yeah, a million steps further. So are these especially, and then it, 
are the stuffed an- uh, a- I almost said animals. The actors, the the those stuffed characters are those your favorite then? Those the, those are my favorite. My second favorite is and this is from Japan. China in I think 2021 did little figure dolls kind of like a Funko Pop but more realistic looking. There's a, there's a there's a toy called a Funko Soda where it's like a little plastic figure. Right. They look like those. They did figures of those. And I also have a giant box of those. So anything that's sort of doll-like where they've actually created the characters, I just, I, it makes me think back to two things. 1994, when I first had this idea, and, you know, not only was the play successful, but there's toys now. Right. There's toys. And it makes me think back to when I was a little boy and a high school student that you knew just dreaming of having a life in theater. And I just can't believe it, you know, that people are buying dolls, toys, stuffed animals, you know, I mean, a mug is one thing, but a doll, I mean, it's crazy. And it's, you know, it's, it's all very exciting and I have (laughs) way too much of it. I, you know, I need to go out so that because people can get lazy. Uh, I need to go out and grab your first interview, which would be interesting. The difference between us talking now and us talking, because like yeah. I say, it was probably my third time, my second or third interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people need to listen to that as well, because it, it, it's a it's a. A great story about high school. So we delved a little bit more uh, on that initial one of our right. our relationship. So we knew each other in high school. We, um, you were in theater. I was in sports. Uh, I remember taking one theater class. Um, right. And, and that's, that's how we met. Yeah, and that that's that's all I, I remember. That and it was down under the the library. But it was a great story and a great time to talk. Right. But I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when. You were, because I, I I keep track. I not keep track, but I I do. I I register when something's going on in someone's life that I has been in my orbit at some time. So I was very aware of you, and that's why when I started my very first podcast, you were one of the very first people. Because I actually thought that was a coup. I was like, do you, I have an award-winning playwright on my show. And this is my third show. And Hold on, I got a sound for that. Yeah, there they go. Crowd going crazy. But I mean, yeah. so, so it, 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 you, I, it still amazes me. And it is that you were so focused in high school. Yeah, that you're like, this is what I want to do. I I wasn't there in high school. My mind was two steps into the future in high school. I was I was already in New York when I was in high school, literally, especially my senior year. I took my first trip literally to New York when I was a I was 16. So I guess I was a sophomore. And so that was, well, I'm not going to say the year. So <laughs> I, I, so I was a sophomore and then I always, what I always say is, and I never came back. Right. My body physically came back and I, you know, I did shows at, at China Mission South where we went to high school in Kansas city. I was there. I had to do my classes. I had to graduate, but I wasn't there. 
I, I wasn't there. I was here. Right. I was already planning everything. And, you know, it did, and, and, and that's the other thing. And this is what's a very important thing in my book. It did not happen overnight. I, I was almost 40 before I was able to make my living 100% as a playwright and I'd live only off of the, you know, the royalties right. and the fees that I get for my plays, you know, it, it, it didn't happen like that. You know? Right. It, it took a while, but um, once it, it happened, it, it, it was it, a long time. And that's, that's amazing because you have, you have to have that perseverance to push through yes. and get through that. And if you do, so I, one thing that I had learned when I was doing some research just about podcasts in general, that mm-hmm. it's something like, 11% of podcasts uh, only have one episode ever. And I think 20 is either 24 or 26% uh, have three episodes or less in their entire catalog. Mm-hmm. And this particular wow. catalog now has 300. And I have amazing guests from amazing. All, all over. And I have you. And I, I know that we've reached I reached out a couple times. I know that you've been super busy. Um, oh. so I, I'm so glad that hold on. I got to use this again. You had said <laughs> to me um, at one point leading up to this that getting through that you would never write another book again. And you said you may <laughs> yes. not even read another book again. So what was the, the what was the most difficult thing or what is the thing that just says, nope, not doing that again? Bearing my soul. Okay. Bearing, bearing my soul bearing my vulnerability telling the stories that that hurt and that were hurtful there's not many but it wasn't all a bed of roses right and i because i'm kind of a private person and i like to have my public face and my private face and i knew that if this memoir because it's really it's it's my story of thrill me. Like right. I wasn't there in Belgium when they did their version. I know nothing about it. This is about what I experienced over thirty years. So I knew it would have to be pretty much warts and all, and it was very different for me and a very different thing for me to have to do. But again, like I was about to say, I didn't have to do that, but it would have been a lousy book. It just would have right. been a you know, it would have been look, look, look at all the cherries and the roses. Um, so did that so help that you? Be, did, that, did that help you grow and be more uh, like as that being a challenge to open like that? Did you find that in any part of your life? Like, oh, that I, I grew a little. I can be a little bit more open, even if it's only with my my certain close inner circle or something. Or did you were just like, nope, that sucked. Not doing that again. Uh, that that <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the other thing is. You don't want to hurt people, right? Because you, a, you don't want to get sued, but not even that. Sometimes there are stories that I know that are not my stories to tell, right. even though they very much affected, thrill me and me. And I had to find a way to not, not you're, lie, not be dishonest, but to support. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I had to find a way to make sure that the story was conveyed without hurting anyone who was still among the living, you know? Right. And, and make sure that it was a, an overall positive experience for everybody. And that was difficult to do. Now, 
I consider myself a professional writer. Like I am a professional writer. It's how I make my money. So like the act of writing wasn't hard. And like I, uh, someone that I know has been try- working on a book, a fiction book, and it's been taking them a long time. And I said, well, I finished my draft in six weeks and they couldn't believe how could you write it? The draft in six weeks. I said, well, I know how it ends. Right. <laughs> I know the story. I'm not making it up. Right. You know, it's like, I know it. So you know, and I and I had to dig way back, you know, going back 30 years to reconstruct a lot um, was difficult. And were like you I ever said, worried we about computers? Were you ever worried about misremembering? I know that you found some notes and things that you had dated. So mm-hmm. that may have been a help. But do, were you ever because I do that. So in my life, if I'm telling a story and especially if I'm not the, the main character, I will make sure that's 100 percent known. This is my perspective. I only know this side of the story. So only because I want people to understand that there's another side of the story. And they may tell you the they may have viewed this in the exact opposite of mine. Uh, I say that. Yeah, I say that very clearly in the book. I say this is mine. This is this is how I remember it. Okay. And other people might remember it differently or other people might have a different. Have looked at it in a different way than I did. But I'm as honest as I possibly can be. And, you know, it, it, it could differ from other people's memory. Right. But I, at the very least, it's close. Right. <laughs> you know, now, once we get into the later 2000s, then I know everything. And I've got a record of it. And I've got emails. And I've got texts. And I've got calendars. And, I, you know, I've got things that I can go back to as reference. Um, but, you know, in those early years, the, the early 90s, you know, it, 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 you know, it's, did this come first or did that come first? Right. If I don't remember, I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to say, well, um, around this period, these two things were happening. Right. You know, you, you, you kind of have to do it like that. I used to base everything um, based on surgeries. It was like, was that before or after shoulder surgery? Was that before or after <laughs> knee replacement? So then, then I can right. narrow down the time frame that way. Oh my gosh! And then you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do another spoiler for the book because hold I on, hold on, canceled. the book which is Thrillmaker, the story of my musical Thrill Me by Stephen Dolganoff. Go ahead. Available on Amazon <laughs> yes. worldwide, See, whatever Amazon finished. global site you use. Just like Bobby so, says, I, I never finish. Yes. Or maybe that's like her finish. Oh, okay. oh, man. I know. Well, we're, we're up there. Um, so here's a little, a little tiny taste. Okay. I'm going to tell you why I had to step away from our version of your podcast. Okay. It is in the book. I and don't get too excited, but it was a deal with Hollywood for a film version of Throw Me, in which I was engaged to write a screenplay version of Throw Me. And that story is recounted in great detail in the book. It was a very exciting time. There is I don't want to say there's not going to be a movie version of Thrill Me because there might be someday, but right. this particular deal expired. So this particular deal isn't going to happen, but uh, I had to stop our podcast because I had to write the screen version of Thrill Me. And I think it's the best thing I ever wrote. 
The the screenplay? The screen adaptation of Romeo. That's awesome. It would be a fantastic movie, and it very well might be someday. Yeah. But and, and, that was and you, you, a very and, exciting time. And I feel so bad because, first of all, I say it all the time. I don't... I like sitting down, writing notes. If someone says, hey, you're going to talk to Steven this day, I'll go, okay, and I'll get it ready. I, I can do all the. I don't mind any of that. It's the. Mm -hmm. it's a lot of the other stuff that I don't like. I remember one of our early shows, I had to stop us because I forgot to hit record. <laughs> and so we had, we had gone for like 20 minutes, and then it was hard because they I were like, that. it was such a good talk, and we were trying to recreate it, which you can't really right. recreate. And so I, I learned a lot. In fact, it wasn't until right, I think it was a show or two before you left that we finally got listed on Apple Podcasts, yes. which is where a majority yes. of people listen to their podcast. And that's one reason we, that we started growing so much. And uh, I mean, not right. so just because we had more exposure, that's where it was. And, right. and I still, l let me say this. I, I, I was going to mention this earlier when you were talking about swag and merch. If um if you can afford me any pictures, I will post them to the Instagram. I'll also tag sure. you in the Instagram so people can see what sure. we're talking about because there's some really cool of stuff. Course. I mean, there absolutely some of this stuff. I'm like, mm, I could play with that. I mean, I could see where well, that wouldn't yeah, just be like just, you know on a, on a shelf somewhere. I will I will try to remember to send it to you, but feel free to grab anything from my Facebook. Okay, you know, just, it, just grab it, take it. You, it it's yours. And the last <laughs> thing I'm gonna, I'm going to say because I know that you uh, lead a very busy life day to day, so I have you for a li very limited time. I wanted to go back. You had mentioned earlier sure. um, that your public face that you have a public yes. face. And I want to give mm -hmm. that public face an identity because when you, as soon as you said public face, I flash back to something that I learned about you that I thought was strange at the time. I still think it's interesting, but I have, <laughs> I have nicknamed you when I, when I'll talk to you, to my wife about you, uh, I'll say Steven. And she goes, which Steven I'll go Stevie two times. So that's your nickname <laughs> because you wear two watches. What is that? Because you wear yes, two I watches. Do. And so yes. that was the easiest. Because I remember after we talked about that, because <laughs> I love watches, but I have never thought mm -hmm. about wearing two at the same time. And I remember telling well, Bobby about that. And so she goes, oh, like he's a two-timer. And I laughed at that. And so then when I, whenever I would describe, when I would talk about, because there's a couple other Stevens I know, she'd go, which Steven? I would go Stevie two times if I was talking about you. So if you want to oh use well, that as a name, and it fits great in New York. Hey, my name's Stevie two times. Well, I love that. Yeah. You know, it sounds like I'm in Goodfellas. But yeah. I, just to be clear, I have a, I'm lucky enough to have a lovely Rolex watch which I think of more as jewelry. Right. And I feel very grateful that I have it. And, and that was, and and that's, it's, that's a family heirloom, correct? Yes. yes. And so. it's, yes. And it's essentially, I think of it more as a bracelet. Right. And then I'm a big Apple fanboy. And when the Apple watch came out, I really wanted it as sort of like a wrist computer, a health device. Right. And I didn't want to not wear my, Again, what I think of as a bracelet. Right. So I wear one on the right hand and one on the left hand. So, and you know, it's just weird because a lot of times geniuses, people of high IQ get picked on because <laughs> like if someone goes, 
to me represent 13. I will give you every single way. Oh, okay, 13, 12 plus 1, 11 plus 2. I'll write it down. You know, all these different ways to do mm -hmm. it. I love right. watches. I'm like you. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're a timepiece for me, but I, I, I'm not a smart watch person. So I just mm -hmm. had never okay. thought about wearing two watches, but I totally get it. So one of the things that I had said I wanted to do for my wife sometime is she likes smart watches. So she wouldn't get the use out of a Rolex, but I was going to mm -hmm. get like the, uh, what is a perpetual oyster band, which is on like the Submariner. Mm -hmm and get mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. and then instead of the watch being there just get the bracelet and then put something that was like uh about you know how i love so, so it'd be a watchless rolex is what i was going to call it and just use the bracelet yeah. and have something connected oh like yeah, like so a, it, like a gem of something. Yeah, yeah, I like so, that. And, and that way, it's it's different because I totally get it. I love wearing watches. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't have a Rolex. I had a uh, the uh, Tag Heuer, the Aqua Racer, which is very similar mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. Submariner, and I love that right. style. I love that look. And so I totally, I do always think of it more as jewelry because if I'm right. wearing something else a ring, a bracelet, a necklace, then my watch is definitely involved in that. So I, I right. it just caught me when you first said that. I was like, two watches, and then it became where that was your identifying when I was talking about Yeah. So, so yeah, I was like, hey, next week I have a – or in a few days I, I'm interviewing Stevie two times. That's how I said it. And she's like, oh, that's great. So so you can do that. It's great. You know, good fellas, whatever going on. It, it, yeah. I think it's a great New York City. Okay, one last thing. I know I just hit the one-hour sure. mark. So I am going to be in New York City. It's, it's, we can we can we can go a little past the one okay. hour mark. It's okay. Okay. So the last thing I was gonna say to you, I am going to be in New York City in April, and it Great. will be I will be there for four days. Uh, there is a screening of. Oh shoot! Hold on. <laughs> uh, there's something I'm gonna be there doing, and something I'll. We'll talk about it at some point. <laughs> Whoopsie daisy. So uh, anyway, there's going to be something that I will be there uh, for four days. Um, I don't know if you're available. I once, and if you're not, I totally get that. And, I, and I'm not trying to put pressure for you by having the, the audience listen in on this too. Mm -hmm. but, I, yeah. but I did mm -hmm. want to ask about this. So I, when I first talked to you before the very first time I interviewed, I, I said, I don't think I've ever seen a play. Because I've seen musicals, and for some reason, right. to, in my mind, right. there was a disconnect between a play that mm -hmm. involved less musical and more story than than that. Mm -hmm. So I had said, and then you you're the one like, hey, dumb shit, you literally have seen a play. And Grease is my wife's favorite play of all time, which I don't know if that was a well, yeah. movie for. But so if I come to New York, because I thought. We'll be there with Bobby. Uh, I'll be there with Bobby. We may be there with our youngest, Trinity, as well. But we were thinking about trying to catch something. So I would first utilize you to say, hey, what should we look at? Is there a Would there ever be a benefit, not saying that you would be available, of me seeing a play or a person seeing a play with someone like you that's been in the industry? Like, can you, sure. well, like, would you be able to say, oh, you should watch this part of the stage or this because of just what's good? Like, like a normal, someone that doesn't know anything about theater sitting there wouldn't right. know what to focus on. Well, first off, I am hopeful to go to the theater with you when that you're in town, awesome. at least see you when you're in town. But if, it, but if it weren't to work out, I hope you all go. 
because we can't talk during the show, so I can't right. point out and go look at this, look at this. There are so many shows. It's it's not intimidating at all. It's like watching a movie. Okay. I mean, it's not like it's it's, it's like watching TV. You're just like watching. It's just the people are actually there, and you're not going to get close-ups, right? Right. So like. There is a musical version of Back to the Future. You, you remember that movie? Yeah. There's a flying car in the show. You'd probably really enjoy that. Right. There's all kinds of shows. You know, I think you would definitely get a benefit. I think anyone listening to this podcast should go to the theater because you're you're seeing a story just like if you watch stories on YouTube, on TikTok, on right. in a theater. It's no different. It's a story. Right. It's just that you're you're experiencing it live, and that performance only happens once. Right. They do it again the next night, but yours is special. So yeah. So I, I oh trust me, I'm going to make sure you do it something. Don't yeah. be worried. I mean, and that's the, I I would love to because I get immersed because that is not me. Mm -hmm. I have found that. Um, and, and there's a, a comedian from New York City, Sean Wickens, who's been on, and we've talked about comedy. I've I've tried to do stand up a couple times. I've done open mic night, and it's just not uh -huh. for me. I'm not as evidence from my shows. I am not a scripted person. I'm not good at. <laughs> I can write down questions and follow up questions stuff, but right. I can't write down. I'm not good at like that type of storytelling. I'm really good at like improv and stuff. So, so I so mm -hmm. when I watch actors on the stage and what they're doing and and memorize it cuz that was one thing that I had trouble when we were in high school cuz like you said there weren't computers and things like that. Word processors right. were barely barely available. Well, I would write right. something. Well, I may need to go back and revise something in a paragraph, but I would re revise the entire page because I would be like, I can make this better. And so that was my, mm -hmm. it was almost like paralysis through analysis. I was like analyzing so much so bad. And so I just, I couldn't get, I didn't know what I was doing. And I want to be able to go to a theater and go, oh, I should watch this. I should focus on this, you know, when, and not just about the particular play, but maybe that there's mm -hmm. something just being at the theater that I, a, a normal person wouldn't be aware of. Because I, I, I don't want to mm -hmm. get tunnel vision. I remember when right, our, right. our oldest was a dancer in high school, I used to miss out on a lot of their performances because I had focused on what she was doing. I would just watch her instead of watching the whole group. So I really missed out on the – I thought I was watching the performance, but I was watching my daughter perform, not the group perform. So I, I, I was even right, watching right. – so, so I was watching it incorrectly, and I know that sounds stupid for someone with a high IQ, but I, I that does – I want to make sure that when I watch it that I get the enjoyment out of it. And I think, like you say, there are so many different things. I mean, back to the future, uh, I mean – Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there should be something for others out there like me that haven't really sought out the play. I live in the Midwest. I know stuff travels right. through here. A lot of times sure. when it does, it gets sold out really quickly, but, you know, right. before the back and forth, before we decide. So um, right. I, I think I would be able to find something and I would encourage everyone to find something that interests them. And then you can go to the theater and then you can make a determination whether oh right. you can determine whether you like the theater or not if you've never been to the theater. Exactly. So okay. Well, I hope to see you. Man, I am uh let's see. I'm gonna do it one more time. <laughs> Thrillmaker, the story of my musical Thrill Me by Stephen Dolganoff, available on Amazon and 
other places you can buy books. Is that correct? Did I finally get it? An hour ended. I finally get you all that. You got correct? it. You yes. got it. It's perfect. You mm -hmm. got it. Okay. Anything you would like to say to the audience before anything uh, you would like to uh, pimp any social media, anything that you'd like to say to the audience before we Yeah. Leave? I mean, you, you can find me on, on Instagram, Stephen Dolganoff. You can find me on Twitter, S Dolganoff. And I am always posting things about Thrill Me, Thrill Maker, and my other shows. And the most important thing is Thrill Maker, the book, as Rose said, it is a story of believing in yourself, persevering, and finding success. And even if you have never heard of the musical Thrill Me, even if you have no interest in theater, it's about how to succeed right and how to never stop and how to believe in yourself and how to take charge of your own life so you know and, and that's what i the, think anyone can find something about it yeah and, and not only is that what the book is about but then like you said mm -hmm. the mere fact of you writing the book help you push through some things and open up and, and yes, get to some places totally. that you weren't comfortable and, and those aren't necessarily always identified i mean someone may be right. writing it and may not understand the way that it's on paper they may not understand right. how raw emotion that made you feel so so mm -hmm. they, they may not have that understanding so that is amazing so and as we spoke earlier if you have a kind word to say to someone else go out of your way to say it even if you look like a fool going out of your way to say it i i've done that i really appreciate people that still dress nice so i'll go out of my way mm -hmm. if someone's uh, wearing a suit uh, I'll go up and say, hey, nice suit, because I want I want them to know that they've been seeing that it's appreciated. So make sure that you have something nice to say, because, Stephen, you said something nice to me like 400 episodes ago. And, and right. thank you. I mean, it actually may uh, right now. I'm literally emotional right now just talking about this because you did make such an impact. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, everyone else. We have had uh, God, it was all these titles now. Award winning playwright now best selling Categories don't matter. Best-selling <laughs> author on Amazon, uh, and the book is Thrillmaker, the story of my musical Thrill Me by Stephen Dolganoff. Stephen, thank you so much. For oh, hold on. Stevie, two times. Thanks for being on the program. <laughs> my pleasure, Ro. Hope okay. to see you again soon. Okay. Everyone else, thank you all for listening to the podcast. My name's Ro. I'll talk to you all soon.